Come have a seat in the Scald Circle and hear a tale as told by our guest storyteller. Julie D. Storyteller, and today I will be telling the tale of Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves. Before we begin our tale, we'd like to remind you that we release new stories for free weekly on Wednesdays on our website, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, Podbean, and more. Visit www.thescaldcircle.com for more information. Now then, this begins the tale of Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves. It so happened in a certain city of Persia that there were two brothers, one by name of Kasim, who was a very well-to-do merchant and well-respected about the town, the other by name of Ali Baba, who was known to be a layabout. Ali Baba made his living by gathering his three donkeys and heading out into the woods nearby in order to collect firewood to sell at the marketplace for fuel. And this Ali Baba did, day in and day out. And then he very quickly spent most of that money on all sorts of vices that need not be described here. It so happens that one day, Ali Baba at the edge of the wood gathering sticks, for that was about all he could find today in his particularly stupid state, heard hoofbeats out in the distance, growing louder and louder. Knowing that nearby there were bandits about, he decided to hide the donkeys as best he could in the bushes and climb up into a tree, because that seemed the obvious choice to do in this situation. Up in the tree, Ali Baba observed that not one, not two, not five, not ten, but forty thieves came riding over the hill, and they stopped at a very curious pile of stones. The leader of the thieves dismounted from his horse and looked out over at those pile of stones, and with a big voice, he stood out and said, Open sesame! And the stones moved. They moved so far, in fact, that it was a cave wide enough to ride two horses abreast into, and all the thieves streamed into the cave. Time passed. The rocks closed. Ali Baba waited, because he did not know if they would come out or if they would stay in, and either way, if they were coming out, he did not wish to get caught. It was good fortune that he did wait, because it so happens then that the cave door moved again and outstreamed all forty of those thieves back out into the hills. Well, Ali Baba waited and waited, and because he was particularly timid, waited some more until he was quite certain that the thieves would not return. He climbed down from that tree, walked over to the rocks, and, holding out his hand and saying in a deep voice as loud as he could, Open sesame! And the rocks moved! And Ali Baba looked in, and he expected to see a damp cave, because when you have forty bachelors living anywhere, it's certain to not be the height of fashion. But instead, Ali Baba inside there, saw bolts of beautiful fabric and gems and jewelry as far as the eye could see, and a grand pile upon pile upon pile of coins. This Ali Baba understood. And so he grabbed his donkeys, brought them in, and as he did, because enough time had passed, the rocks closed behind him. He took no notice of this. He put some bags of coins onto his donkeys. He left the fabric he left the gems and jewelry, because, if he were caught, Ali Baba didn't want to have anything that was identifiable. He walked back up to the stone door, held out his hand, and said, Open sesame! 
The stones moved. Alibaba left. The stones closed behind him. Well, now that he was back out in the woods, Alibaba gathered some sticks and piled it around the bundles on the donkeys so that the neighbors wouldn't wonder what it was that Alibaba was bringing home from the woods this time. Alibaba brought the donkeys all the way to his brother Kasim's house, opened the gate, ushered the donkeys inside, made sure no one was looking, and brought all the coins in. Kasim! Kasim! Look what I have found! Well, Kasim's eyes opened wide because even though Kasim had been a well-respected merchant for a long, long time, he had never seen this amount of wealth. Where did you get this? Who did you kill? I didn't kill anybody, said Alibaba. I found it out in the woods. It is the storehouse of the bandits. Well, Kasim would not be outdone by his young, poorer brother. So Kasim loaded up ten donkeys and went out into the woods. And there, remembering Alibaba saying it was about grain, opened his hand, stood in front of the rocks, and said, Open sesame! And the stones moved. And Kasim brought all ten of those donkeys in. The stones closed behind them, and Kasim loaded up those donkeys until they were fit to collapse. Then Kasim walked back over to those stones, held open his hand, and said, Oh, it was something about grain. Open barley. The stones didn't move. Open rye. Open quinoa. And nothing he shouted made it move. Worse still, he heard in the distance the sound of hoofbeats. He tried to hide, but where are you going to hide inside a cave? Moreover, where are you going to hide ten donkeys inside a cave? Until he heard on the other side of the rock, the leader of the thieves call out, Open sesame! The stones moved. Kasim stood there in the entrance, looking at the moved stones, looked at the bandits and went, Huh, that's what it was. And in three quick slices, Kasim was carved into four pieces. The bandits, not quite understanding how Kasim got into the cave in the first place, strung up his four quarters as a warning in four different trees just outside the cave. When night passed, and the next day came, and Kasim didn't return home, Alibaba grew worried. So he snuck back out to the woods and saw Kasim's, well, remains hanging in the trees. It would not do for his brother to remain up in the trees unburied. So he took down all the pieces, loaded them onto his donkeys, covered the bundles with sticks so that the villagers wouldn't suspect that he was bringing home body pieces, and walked into Kasim's house. Kasim had a servant by the name of Morgiana, and as much as Kasim was a well-respected merchant inside the city, Morgiana was known as the shrewdest servant in the entirety of Persia. Morgiana looked at Alibaba, realized that prudence would be the better action in this case, and concocted with him a plan. She went over to the local apothecary and said, Good sir, I am in need of medicine for a man that has taken ill very suddenly and who, well, may not make it through the night. Well, the druggist looked at Morgiana and said, Who is it? that has taken ill so suddenly. And she sniffed back a couple of tears and said, It is my master, Kasim. He is very, very unwell. And so she received the medicine and went back home. 
The next night, Morgiana went back to that self-same apothecary and said, Good sir, please, do you have any medicine to help revive a person? Yes, of course. And she sniffed back a few more tears and claimed very loudly so that the apothecary and anybody else inside the shop could hear. It is my master, Kasim. I fear that he may not even survive so that I could bring this medicine to him. She went home, waited until the next day. And the next day she came out of the house wearing a long veil of mourning. The next day, Morgiana stepped out, this time wearing a long veil of mourning. And she went in search of a tailor. And the particular tailor that she was hunting for was known to be a bit blind. She grabbed the tailor and promised him a great many coins if he would come to her home in order to sew the burial shroud. And the tailor, being a bit blind, worked his burial shroud and sewed it around the body and made no comment that the body seemed to have once been in pieces. And Morgiana assumed that it was because, he being a bit blind, didn't notice. Everything was going as planned. And so now it was known that Katsim had passed from a sudden illness and no one save she and Alibaba knew the true way in which Kasim had been killed. Meanwhile, back at the thieves' hideout, they noticed that Kasim's body was gone. Huh, that means Kasim had accomplices. And it means that someone still knows the location of their hideout. This would not do. So the thieves rode back into the city at different places at different times so that they would not be known to be all part of the same group because they were a bit wanted on sight as a large group. One by one, they went in, asking if anyone had seen something, asking if anyone had perhaps seen a mangled body, if someone had died unexpectedly by suspicious circumstances, and they came to the shop of the tailor. And the tailor said, Oh, yes, I saw it was a man. I don't recall his name, though. But a man was definitely cut in four, clean through. Well, the thieves praised their luck and had the tailor lead them to the house. And so that thief followed him and saw Kasim's door and put a little mark of white chalk on the door so that they might be able to find it later that evening. They went home happy. When Morgiana arrived home and she saw that white mark on the door, she knew that erasing the mark would make it look suspicious and would alert anybody still searching for the door that she knew that they were on their trail. This would not do. So rather than erase it, she decided to confuse them. She took a piece of white chalk of her own and put that self-same mark on every single other door inside the neighborhood. When the thieves came that night in order to kill the accomplice of Kasim, they could not figure out which door was the correct door. The thieves returned back to their hideout, and the leader had the one who promised that the job was done executed. The next day, another thief decided to try his hand at it, found that selfsame tailor, went back to Kasim's house, and this time he put a mark on the door using a piece of red chalk. That would surely denote which house was the correct house. He went back to the hideout happy. Morgiana returned home, saw that red chalk mark, smiled to herself, 
grabbed a piece of red chalk and put that same mark across every other door in the neighborhood. The thieves returned that night, saw the marks, saw that they would not be able to finish the job. They went back to their hideout. And so, they were no longer a band of 40, but now a band of 38. The next day, the leader of the thieves, having had quite enough of all of this nonsense, went to the tailor himself, walked to Kasim's house, and this time did not place a mark on the door, but rather placed the memory of that door inside the mark of his heart, and so would remember where that door was, no matter what happened. As such, he went back to the hideout. He had his thieves gather together 37 empty jars and one identical jar full of lamp oil. He loaded all of them into a cart and, thus disguised as a poor oil salesman, he rode into the city with one jar of lamp oil and 37 jars full of thieves. Since it was evening and the market was closed, the poor disguised merchant, as it were, went to Kasim's house and begged for a night of rest, since Kasim's house was so very close to the marketplace. And how could you deny someone hospitality? As such, when the thief came into the house, Ali Baba offered him dinner, and the thief begged that he had already eaten. Thank you very much because it would not do in order to break bread with someone and then kill them in their own home. So the thief waited for the entire rest of the house to go to sleep. Ali Baba was the first to retire. But Morgiana stayed awake. She had some chores to do. So the leader of the thieves, he pretended to go to sleep for some time, and Morgiana, with a little lamp burning, continued on working on the laundry. Well, the lamp quickly lost oil, unfortunately, and the laundry was still not done. She realized that it was an oil salesman that was staying in her house. And so she went outside into the yard and was going to take just a little bit of oil so that she could finish her chores. As she approached the cart and opened one of the jars that fortunately contained oil, and she was starting to dip some into her lamp, the next jar over spoke to her. And it said, Is it time yet? Morgiana realized what has happened, that this is not a kindly oil merchant, and it is not everything as it seems. And so she tried to disguise her voice, leaned back in, and said, It's not time, but soon. And she raced back into the house. Now she had been doing laundry, and so she had a vat of very, very, very hot lye. And one by one, she went back to those jars, opened the lid, and poured the boiling lye over each of the thieves. So quickly, so instantly they died, that no one made a sound. And thus, with all the jars lidded back up, Morgiana went back home and this time did go to sleep. And she slept very peacefully, for she knew that no harm would come to the family that night. The leader of the thieves waited, waited and the moon was high. He snuck out in order to release his thieves so that they might overwhelm the house and kill all of the accomplices. And then he realized that his entire band was dead. Well, he took the cart and realized that he would need to perform a little bit of trickery of his own in order to make it so 
that no one would suspect anything. So he opened Kasim's gate, pushed the cart out into the middle of the lane, where all of the jars tumbled out of the cart, clashing and clattering and raising such a huge ruckus down the street they moved, and all of the jars broke into a thousand pieces, and there, seemingly killed by the accident, of course, lay the remaining thieves of that evil, wicked band. Well, the town really was rejoiceful at that moment, because they didn't have any more thieves plaguing them. In the morning, still disguised as the oil merchant, he bemoaned that, oh, his shipment had been infested by thieves, and whatever was he going to do? Alibaba, not being the brightest, said, Of course, you may stay here with me. Have breakfast with me. But, again, it's not good to break bread with someone you intend to kill. So, the leader of the thieves declined the offer. It was at this second time that he declined to eat that Morgiana realized that the merchant was not a merchant and was not innocent and was, in fact, probably an accomplice of the thieves. As she was finishing cleaning the breakfast dishes, she looked down and saw that the merchant had his hand upon a dagger and was making ready to draw it, probably in order to kill her or Alibaba. Quickly, she grabbed a butter knife off of the plate and, stealing her strength, drove it into the chest of the thief. Once the shock had settled down, Morgiana explained everything that had happened over the past few days, and Alibaba realized just how often she had saved his life, since they were now the only two people that knew the location of the thieves' hoard. Alibaba shared its secret with her, and thus they were able to live comfortably and happily for the rest of their days. And that is the tale of Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. Thank you for listening to my tale. If you enjoyed this tale, as told by our guest storyteller, Julie D. Storyteller, you can follow her on facebook.com slash jdstoryteller. She has appeared on stages at the Bristol Renaissance Fair in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the Cranet Center for the Performing Arts in Champaign-Urbana, the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo, and more. She would love to perform at your next event. Again, I do hope you enjoyed this tale. If you did, please let us know. Also, don't forget to take a look at our Patreon page to learn how you can earn great rewards while also supporting us. A special thank you to Kat for their support this month. It means the world to us. Remember, we release new tales for free weekly on Wednesdays. Find out where you can hear them on our website at www.thescaldcircle.com. Once again, thank you for listening to our story.